Hi, it's me, Frankie Bridge, and I'm so excited to be back with another series of Open Mind, but this time I'm going to be doing things a little bit differently. Since making the podcast, I've had countless listeners writing to me with their own questions regarding mental health and all it entails. I wish I was qualified enough to answer, but I'm still learning myself. So for this series, which I've dubbed Self-Care Sessions, I've decided to invite some experts and well-being advocates onto the show to answer your listener questions. Today's episode is around setting boundaries. I'm joined by life coach and author Michelle Elman. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. (laughs) Thank you for coming on. This was a really popular it's not a question I suppose but just I put it out there for all my followers on Instagram to kind of ask you know their version of boundaries everyone has different I suppose meaning for boundaries and reasons for them and different people who they feel they need them with and it was a really hard one for me to word to put out there yeah no I get it because boundaries is a word we hear a lot but when it comes to what I call the education element of it people Mm -hmm wouldn't even be able to define boundaries. They just know it's something they should have and they should do. But the way I term it is boundaries is the difference between you and another person. It's what is and isn't acceptable about how you're treated. And it's the line between who you are and who the world wants you to be. Okay, that's an amazing way of explaining it. It's so true because I do feel you grow up with I feel like it's ingrained in us from a really early stage on how we should react to things, how we should be. And I feel like a lot of the time as we become adults or as we get older, we realise that those things don't really serve us. And then it's like, okay, but how do I get out of that then? Because I've been told that this is how I act. Well, so if you take a baby's toy or you put a baby in the arms of someone who they don't want to be in the arms of they know their boundaries they will either scream or they will yell no they know their boundaries the reason why we unlearn our boundaries is because we start thinking about the fact that other people have thoughts about us and so then comes in the fear of being disliked what if they hate me what if they think I'm rude and every time you're thinking about the other person it's really hard to fulfill your own needs and that's where boundaries get more complicated so lots of people there was loads of things about feeling bad feeling like you don't look like a bad person so I'll start going through some of the questions and the first one is exactly that how do you say no to people and not feel guilty about it So there is appropriate guilt and inappropriate guilt. And the reason why you are feeling guilty is because you don't believe you deserve to have boundaries. You don't believe you deserve to say no. But the way to remove that guilt is not only to understand that you have nothing to feel bad for by prioritizing yourself, but also getting that self-esteem in place to know that you deserve to set boundaries in the first place. So checking yourself and kind of being like, okay, I deserve to feel guilty if I step on someone's toe or crash my car into someone else's car like that I deserve to feel guilty for me saying no I don't want to work weekends or no I don't want to work set reply to an email at 10 o'clock in the night that is just healthy boundaries and I think sometimes especially with women we've grown up believing that in order of us to be a value in order for us to be a good person we have to give everything of ourselves that we have to be of service to everyone around us and that's why in this book the joy of being selfish I call 
I use the word selfish on purpose because I'm like, in order for us, we talk about self-love, we talk about self-care, everyone can get on board. But as soon as you say selfish, they're like, wait, hold on, too far. Mm. And But you actually need to be selfish to say, hey, my need for rest is more important than my boss's need for me to reply to an email at 10 o'clock at night, which frankly, I think is inappropriate and unprofessional. Mm. But we feel guilty about that because we think we should be accessible all hours of the day. And that is just not true. But what about in a friendship term, though? Because I find that really difficult, equally with work. That's one of my biggest things, like my husband Wayne is always like, you need to learn to say no. You know, like when you agree to going out with your friends and and you know that it's not really something you want to do or you know that you're going to be really tired or whatever. There's a reason why you don't want to do it. How do you say no without feeling awful and nicely, I suppose? Well, so the first time I did it, because I had to go through my own journey with boundaries, I remember a friend had invited me to a pub quiz and it was like really late and it was in Shoreditch, which was really far. And it sounds stupid now because in a pandemic, I would go to Shoreditch, I would go to Essex. (laughs) But at the time I was like, it's seven o'clock at night and Shoreditch is so far, I'm not going to go. But what came out of my mouth was yes. It was like a knee-jerk reaction. We have this reaction to like check our diary, see if we're free and if we're free, we go. But we don't actually stop to ask ourselves, do we want to go? And so I said, yes, hung up the phone and was like, why did I just do that? Like my New Year's resolution was to say no and to not justify it. So I called him back and was like, I'm not coming anymore. And he was like, why? I was like, just because, because I didn't want to justify myself. And he was like, okay, you're acting weird. Okay, bye. And it was this really clumsy communication, but it was the first time I'd said no. And automatically, as soon as I hung up that phone, I got, he's going to stop inviting me to all events. He's going to hate me. He's going to think I'm weird. All of these things. And then I just stopped for a moment and went, what do I feel? Because all of those thoughts are about him. They weren't Mm. about me. And if I actually checked in with my body and felt what I was feeling, it was relief. And I couldn't notice that while my thoughts were on him. And so that's what a lot of this being selfish, but also setting boundaries is about, is by going back and checking in with yourself. Like, how do you actually feel about it? And when you have that pride or that relief, you when you focus on that, it helps remove some of the guilt within that because you realize you actually have a reason for saying no. And Mm. when you use your no effectively, your yes also has more power. So my friends now joke that if I turn up, they know I actually want to be there. Which, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a joke, but at the same time, if if you're a host of a party, would you like people to turn up because they feel obligated to? I wouldn't want that as a host. So you're doing them a favor as well. So how do you do it then? Because... Okay, so that was the first time that you'd said no and you said it was like a clumsy conversation. How do you have that conversation or how do you send that text saying the same thing but in a better way? Well, I don't know whether... Because when you say a better way, it actually depends on their response. And the problem is when you set boundaries, you cannot control their response and you can't control their reaction. And if you are a person, especially who's always said yes, when you start saying no, you're not always going to get positive reactions. And it's inconvenient for your friends, essentially, because you, especially I was the person who... If you didn't want to go to a party alone, the person you would reach out to was me because you knew if you nagged me long enough, I would change my mind. And so it becomes inconvenient for them. So there were negative reactions. The way I do it and the way to make sure to set boundaries in an 
accurate way and not in a clumsy way, which I think is almost compulsory to go through that journey, mm. but is to do it in an emotionally neutral way. So what I say is to do it in a way like you're saying your phone number. So it has no emotions attached. It's not angry. It's not defensive. It's just stating it as fact. I'm not free. And when you say it like that, there's nothing to debate because what I found is when you give a reason like, oh, I have too much work on, people almost think that's they need to find a solution to your problems. So then they go, well, if you do your work now, you can still come to the house party at seven o'clock. I mean, this all sounds silly in a pandemic because there were no house parties. (laughs) But (laughs) at the time, it's things like that where it's like, no, I didn't say I was busy because I wanted you to find a solution to my problems. If all I wanted to do was sit on the sofa and watch Grey's Anatomy, then so be it. Like that is equally important. And I think we have this thing in society where in order for you to have to say no to something you need to be doing something that's productive or seen of higher value whereas you spending alone time is not considered something that's productive use of time or watching tv is not a productive use of time but actually it is rest is equally as important how you choose to spend your time is ultimately your choice yeah such a good point so then what if people don't respect those boundaries how do you approach that The responses you get when people don't respect your boundaries are so predictable that I was able to even write them down in the book. Like it is so repetitive. But essentially, you have to reinforce that boundary. So almost like a child testing your boundary. If you've never had boundaries before, the first thing they're going to assume is to not take you seriously. And that's an awful thing to say, especially if you're talking about friends or family members. But If that is the pattern they're used to and the reaction they're used to, then that could be the case. So if you said, don't speak to me like that, and someone continues speaking to you like that, then you have to say it again. Don't speak to me like that, but this time put a consequence. Don't speak to me like that, otherwise I'm going to walk out the room. And then actually walk out the room. So it's important that the consequence you set is actually one you're willing to follow through on. So if you can't walk out of the room, for example, you could say, don't speak to me like that, or otherwise we're going to change the conversation. Or something that you know is feasible. For me, I would walk out the room because I have an issue with people yelling at me. I don't like it. (laughs) I don't tolerate it. So if anyone, whether it's a boss or a friend or a family member starts yelling, I literally am like, don't speak to me like that. Otherwise, I'll walk out the room. And it takes practice. And I wasn't always so confident and comfortable saying that. But as with anything new that you're trying, there are going to be clumsy moments. There are going to be messy moments. But once you realize that, Every time you set boundaries and it isn't respected, it actually is an indication of your relationship anyway, and that the right people in your life will respect your boundaries. Setting boundaries within a relationship, so like an intimate relationship. Yeah. A lot of people sent in messages about that of like, how do you let your guard down to be able to be intimate with someone? Because that is another boundary, isn't it? That you're, you're crossing over I suppose. So I think that it's really important to differentiate between boundaries and walls so boundaries are not used to push people away walls are and so a lot of the time people will label it as a boundary but actually it's a wall boundaries allow for intimacy boundaries allow for connection and walls just push people away the main differentiator is that walls keep everyone out and boundaries keep out the people you don't want out so you get to choose who gets to come in Mm -hmm. and when it comes to romantic relationships especially and 
I also was really passionate about talking about not just long-term relationships because even if it's a casual relationship or a sexual relationship doesn't mean you can't set boundaries and it's not just setting boundaries in the bedroom you can set boundaries around your time for example so one of the examples I included was someone coming over and he was like oh I'll let you know tomorrow I just replied, that's not going to work for me. You either let me know now or I'm going to make other plans. And immediately I got a response being like, all right, Miss Sassy, 3 p.m. it is. And I was like, his schedule did not change. His priorities changed because I Mm. wouldn't let him dictate my own schedule. And we've all been in that position where what you end up doing, or I think we've all been in that position, but what ends up happening is you end up sitting around waiting for their text. And even that in itself, who has the right to do that, to waste my entire morning of me sitting? And I don't want to be sitting around staring at my phone, seeing whether he's free or not. And so having this attitude of, if you're not going to make me a priority and you're going to treat me like an option, I'm going to find someone else who will treat me like a priority. When it comes to romantic relationships, it's about not having that fear of being single. And Mm -hmm. when you have that fear of being single, you are willing to settle for any scraps you are given. Rather than settling for what you are being given, you need to learn how to ask for what you need. And if that person can't deliver it, you're asking the wrong person. It's not that your needs aren't valid. Because a lot of the time, if they're like, oh, well, you're being really needy, then you go, oh, well, maybe my needs are too much. Actually, your needs aren't too much. You're just asking the wrong person. The right person will be able to provide that for you. And so it's flipping that mentality. And again, it's about knowing you deserve to set those boundaries, knowing you deserve to have those needs. And I'm a really big believer that I never tell anyone their needs are too much. I don't think it serves a purpose because it doesn't stop the need from existing. I can say, oh, you're asking too much from me, but you're still going to want that from someone. So it's not only invalidating, but it serves no purpose. And therefore that's why it's important to almost use boundaries as a way to signal who's the right person in your life and who's the wrong person in your life and when's the right time to move on. That's such a good point. It's so true. I've never been like one of those game players per se. I'm like, if I like someone, I like someone, I'll make plans with them. I'll text them back straight away. I can't handle this whole, like you say, like, oh, I'll let you know. And you're like, Well, no, I kind of need to know, because if you're not going to be around, then I'll make another plan. And I suppose that kind of works with friendships as well. Yeah, 100%. And I think we glorify long friendships, like all those movies about long friendships. Oh, you grew up uh, neighbours while you were five years old. And so we feel bad when a friendship has to end. And we almost feel like it's a personal failing when it's not. People change. And so the relationships on our life also change. And whether that's a friend who never pays for their share of a meal or whether it's a friend who talks about you behind their back, in order to upgrade your life and have a level of self-esteem and self-worth, you need to have people around you who treat you with that same respect. And I had a moment in my life where I kind of looked around at all of my friends and this is an awful sentence, but it was actually... um, a housemate who said to me that, do you know how much we have to tolerate living with you? And it was the word tolerate that just stuck in my mind. And I was like, how have I been surrounded by people who have to tolerate me? And you should never be surrounded by people who make you feel hard to be loved or hard to celebrate you. And that's exactly what I have in my life now. But it took a very hard year or two of realizing all the people around me don't support me in any way and our relationships aren't reciprocal and so 
cutting out those friendships is a form of boundary setting because ultimately if someone continuously doesn't set your boundaries you have two options to distance from them or to cut them out and so having those conversations and it's very normalized in romantic relationships hey this relationship isn't working for me but it's what you don't hear so often is hey this friendship isn't working for me anymore so how did you do that though With a lot of friends, I actually said those words, this friendship isn't working for me anymore. So one of the examples that comes to mind is a friendship where we just, I don't know why and I don't know where from, but we just started bickering and we did not stop. And it was about everything. It was every small thing. And we were in a big friendship group and even our friendship group was starting to get annoyed with it, being like, why are you two like constantly picking on each other? It's almost like sisters, but the bad side of sisters, Mm. but not the good side of sisters. And so... We thought, oh, maybe it's because we're spending too much time together. So we spent a little time apart. Then we thought maybe it's because we always start these fights over texts. So maybe we should stop texting and start doing phone calls. And after we tried all these methods, I just went, look, we need a break. And I can't do this anymore. It's not healthy for either of us. And I don't want to hate you. And if we keep going down this road, I will hate you. Because I get really resentful when we're doing this whole back and forth bickering thing. And she set a boundary with me and said, if you take a break from this friendship, it's over. We're not being friends again. And I went, well, I hate that that's the case because I do want to be friends again, but I just think we need a break from each other. But if that's your boundary, so be it. Like, but I just don't think I can be in this friendship anymore. And so she's she's still in my friendship group. I still see her around, but we aren't friends anymore. And it's sad. And there's a moment where you grieve it. And there's a moment where where you want to text them and you miss them. But grief around a loss is normal and a healthy emotion and just because you miss someone doesn't mean they should be back in your life and just from the friends I have the mutual friends all the issues that were still in our relationship are still happening but just not with me anymore and so it's a really sad process but it's something that's not spoken about and a lot of the time I didn't speak about it because I thought like oh well there must be something wrong with me everyone else can maintain this friendship with her but not me But over time, when I found new people in my life, I realized that, oh, I'm glad I didn't just accept the relationship the way it was and actually went out there and tried to find people who are a better match for me. How are the dynamics then? Because you are within a group of friends of her, say you all go out for dinner when we're allowed and you're both there. Is that not awkward for everyone? Like, how does that work? Well, when it comes to dinner, I I don't think we'd both be there, put it that way. But I have no issue with her and she has no issue with me. And I also, I wish her well. Like when you love someone, you, you tend to, or I tend to love them for life, whether they're in my life or not. And so I still love them, but... For example, a house party, we could possibly both be there. But when it comes to dinner, it has kind of meant I'm always the one who opts out because I was like, look, I was the one who started this. It's fine. But it's okay because I don't feel like I'm left out of the conversation because I remember why I made that decision in the first place or left out of the friendship group. As I got older, I kind of realized I don't need to be at every event. I don't need to be at every dinner party in order for our friendships to matter. I started focusing more on the individual relationships than being part of a group and yes being part of a group is wonderful but it's the individual relationships that matter within that group and as long as I maintain those individual relationships yeah I mean maybe the first time where I saw I remember it was on Snapchat the first dinner where they all went out for dinner and I didn't go 
there's a moment of FOMO where you're just fear of missing out, where you're sitting there and being like, I could easily be at the dinner if only I had just sucked up my feelings, sucked up all of like my needs, just dismiss those. But that's not a person with self-esteem. Like a person with self-esteem has the ability to know that their needs are important. And I think it was the bigger moments in life. So like a few years ago, my dad got cancer and it was in those moments I realized I have the right people around me now. And I'm not sure if two years before those same people would have supported me in the same, well, not the same people, different friends, my old friends would have supported me in the same way. And so doing this, this year of cutting people out and finding new friends was so painful and it was lonely and miserable at times. But when the big moments happen, you have the right people around you. And I mean, it's even things like my book launch was last week. My house looks like a greenhouse at the moment. I have flowers in every single room. I ran out of vases. I have so many flowers. When my first book came out, I didn't have the same thing because I had different quality of friends in my life. And so, yes, there are going to be sad moments when you make hard decisions like that. But the benefits just so outweigh the negatives. And that's what I always focus on. And there are constant moments now where if I want to remind myself that there are good humans in the world, I just look to my friends. And I don't think I could have said that a few years ago. Yeah. But then how do you relate that then to family? Because I think that's an even harder one. And I think it's something that most people have an issue with like that was a really popular question how do I set boundaries with a toxic parent or with in-laws which again is just like a completely different relationship so I'm quite careful to not use the word toxic to label a human and to label the dynamic as toxic which means it can change Mm -hmm. and yes that means some toxic dynamics never change and I granted take that but to label a human as toxic removes the idea that that person can be toxic to you but not to another person and I mean within friendship or even within a family it can be that way where they're toxic to one child but not another child they prefer another child or whatever it is and it's an awful thing to say but it does happen so I think it's important we talk about toxic dynamics especially within the pandemic I would say the main boundaries especially with family are privacy and boundarying their opinions so Yes, you're right. Family is the hardest boundaries to set because it's the longest relationship and it's where you learn communication and boundaries are essentially communication. So if you've learned bad communication within your family, it's hard to change the long ingrained and sometimes generational patterns that we have. So especially within the pandemic, I would say privacy. So whether that's when I close my door, you have to knock or if you don't knock when I close my door, I'm going to start locking my door. I need privacy or I need alone time, whatever it is. That is a really important boundary to set. And then the other one is this entitlement to having every opinion around every one of your decisions. And so I personally set the boundary by saying, I didn't ask for your opinion. I'll let you know when I need it. And that kind of thing takes A number of times you have to repeat yourself over and over again, because, again, the first time you say it, it's a different thing that you've said. So they don't really take it seriously. We'll continue giving your opinion. But the thing is, you have to, especially as parents, you have to remember that the kids have to make their own mistakes and you made your own mistakes, too. And just because you believe they're making the wrong decision doesn't actually make it the wrong decision. It's just a different decision to yours. And so that's where... 
I think if we are able to do those two things, not only in lockdown, if people have had to live with their parents again or are just stuck inside with their families, will it make lockdown easier? But it's generally good boundaries. And I don't think there should be a different set of boundaries for your parents or for your family than to anyone else in the world. And similarly, you can teach kids boundaries at a really young age. I think we have this illusion that there are these set of rules for kids and then somehow magically they become an adult and the rules change. So for kids, it's sit down, shut up and do what you're told. Whereas when you're an adult, you want confident adults who can speak their mind and voice their opinions. But when exactly do the rules change? Is it at a teenager level or is it when they're officially 18 or... I don't believe that. I believe you teach boundaries from a really early age. So an example I have in my book is a 10 year old came home from school really upset because her friend was constantly talking about her other friends. So she said to her mum, like she keeps gossiping about my other friends and I don't know what to do about it. So her mum, because she had strong boundaries, said, well, you go up to her and you say, if you want to be my friend, then you can't talk about my other friends that way. And so she went and did that. And then she came home crying the next day, being like she did it again. So her mum said, well, you go back to her and you say, do you remember what we talked about yesterday? Well, if you want to be my friend, then you're going to have to stop talking about my other friends. I'm not going to accept this in our friendship. And so she went and did that and it changed the friendship. And I just, I heard that story and I was like, can you imagine if you learned boundaries at 10 years old, how much easier your life would have been? But also go her like at 10 years old all you want to do is fit in and instead of fitting in she's setting the rules for her friendship group and it took me till 21 to have a friendship group like that we had a very strong no bitching policy in our uni friendship group and it didn't matter who it was if I walked in and started gossiping about someone else they'd be like Michelle we're better than that stop it whereas if someone else walked in and started talking about me it'd be the same thing and it was so reassuring to know that Yes, of course, there were moments where I was like, oh, this is so frustrating because I can't talk about what I want to talk about. But they were holding me to a higher standard where they were basically saying, go talk to the person you have an issue with. There's no point coming in this room and turning it into a group exercise, essentially. But it's reassuring to know that if someone was doing the same about me, my friends would stand up for that as well. And so it's about deciding the morals and values you want to live by. And if you can teach that to children at 10 years old, the amount it will serve them throughout their entire life is huge. And do you think by practicing boundaries as well as a parent with your kids, that will teach them, you know, that there are boundaries in life and you have to stick to them as well as, you know, them setting their own boundaries? A hundred percent. I mean, the reason why this 10 year old had such great boundaries is because her mother, who's one of my friends, has great boundaries as well. And it's small things. So when a child says, I have a one-year-old nephew and my nephew is in a phase where he's going, he just yells no all the time. So it's like, do you want to give Auntie Michelle a hug? No. And my sister has at times forced him to give me a hug and I've gone, no, he doesn't want to give me a hug. Then he doesn't want to give me a hug. I'll wait. It might be a phase. He might never like hugs. There are adults who hate hugs. Mm. Um, Whatever it is, respect that no. And respect your kids privacy don't go into their rooms without their permission respect their property as well don't go into their diaries those are good boundaries and if you have if you have that relationship with your child where you understand that respect is earned and your child deserves to have respect as well then that's when you teach them good boundaries at a young age so it's not only you having good boundaries but it's you specifically having good boundaries with your children okay I'm like 
writing notes. <laughs> <laughs> I need to start doing this at home. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to do that with a massive caveat, though. What I say is there's no such thing as perfect parenting. 90% of the time, go for the 90% rule. And the 10% you screw up, the 20% you screw up, just apologize. Learn how to apologize. And kids don't need perfect parents. What they need is they need human parents. And to have a parent who knows when they are wrong and they can apologize is a huge learning lesson. And how many kids just can't apologize because their parents can't apologize. So Mm -hmm. you don't have to do this perfectly. You don't need to have perfect boundaries. But when you do it wrong and you recognize that and you're aware of that, apologize that's all that needs to happen humans make mistakes and it's okay as a parent to make mistakes as well yeah I think a lot of the time we feel like in this generation that you just can't make a mistake ever yeah. it's like this new thing cancel that culture I, cancel culture it's my biggest annoyance at the moment is I'm like we're now teaching children the younger generation let alone us that you can never make a mistake because if you make a mistake your whole life is going to be over well so I actually think council culture is born out of the the fact that we are becoming more unforgiving towards ourselves and Mm. so we project that on other people because if you let's say if you make a mistake and you're so hard on yourself when you make a mistake what exactly are you going to do when your favorite celebrity on twitter has screwed up you're going to do the exact same thing and is it that you really hate that celebrity no it's probably because you treat yourself the same way when you mess up the first time humans are mistakes Look, humans are mistakes. No, <laughs> humans make mistakes. I mean, we probably are mistakes sometimes, as well, but humans make mistakes. And so, in order to learn and grow and do better, we need to remove the shame aspect because shame doesn't help people learn and it's not useful for positive change. And so, allowing people. I always talk about the fact that, like, I don't believe in seeing the good in people because I think that puts rose tinted glasses on you don't see red flags you don't see warning signs but I do believe in giving people the benefit of the doubt and I think that is something that is missing from the internet and social media and I spend a lot of time on social media as a technically influencer and that's the main thing I'm seeing there's no nuance there's no benefit of the doubt and someone can follow you for six years enjoy your content for six years and you screw up once and there is no benefit of the doubt from those six years of trust that have been built up whereas if you did that in a friendship and you're in a friendship for six years and they screw up you're like well we've been friends for six years let me just give you a moment to explain yourself you don't do that with people on the internet because ultimately it's kind of a one-way relationship that like in my mind I'm like you followed me for six years you really didn't think I was that awful a person for six years how can you just suddenly think oh she's a demon and she doesn't care about other people at all but it's coming back to the thing of If you treat yourself that way, then you're going to treat others that way. And so rather than projecting it on other people, I mean, self-awareness is the greatest gift you can give the people Mm. around you. If you're self-aware about how unforgiving you are towards yourself, then you won't spend your time hating or piling on to the latest celebrity who messed up. Great point. So I always ask everyone at the end what your three main tips are that you can give to the listeners. Okay, so my first main tip is the easiest boundary you can set is the word no. So say no when you mean no, but also say yes when you mean yes. Say what you mean and mean what you say. It is a really cliched thing, but it simplifies your relationships so much. 
The next thing I would say is that you deserve to set boundaries and that you can have limits and no one deserves access to you the entire day, whether that's your boss or a friend. Learning how to turn your phone off is a huge thing and also having levels. So we talk about an inner circle, having levels to that. It's different levels of an inner circle. There are many different inner circles. The words I use are acquaintance, friend, good friend and best friend, but Uh, the guy I was dating used mates. He had a difference between mates and friends. Whatever it is, start looking at your life and realizing, okay, these are the friends I rely on in an emergency. And these are my party friends, the ones who are great in a club, but should maybe not be trusted with personal information or private information. And the final tip I would say is that it's going to be scary in the first place when you're setting boundaries because you're doing something different. So be kind to yourself. You don't have to do it perfectly the, the first time. Um, you don't even have to do it perfectly the 10th time. But the more you get used to it, the easier it becomes. And from a person who was a pushover and a people pleaser and now someone who's literally written the book on boundaries... I would say my life is so much easier now with boundaries. And yes, setting boundaries are hard, but living without boundaries are harder. Okay. And then finally, where should our listeners go if they want to learn more or ask for any more information? So I'm scarred, not scared on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. My book is called The Joy of Being Selfish and my podcast is In All Honesty. Thank you so much, Michelle. Oh, it's been so lovely. I have learned so much. So I know our listeners are going to like the hardest thing for me is still to say no. And I think that so many people can relate to that. And I feel like I'm going to have to listen to this back and like write down all your little tips or buy your book. (laughs) So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I've had such a great time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Open Mind Self-Care Sessions. I hope this has been really helpful to you. If you've been affected by this episode or would like to find out more information regarding mental health, please head over to mind.org.uk. If you have any questions which you would like to get answered, please follow me on Instagram and look out for my stories where I collect all of your fantastic thoughts for each episode. So that's all from me for now. So look after yourself. Bye.